0: One, two, three. One,
1: two, three. That's perfect. Hi, you're listening to American Student Radio on WIUX 99.1 LP Bloomington. I'm Sophia Salaby. I'm Carter Barrett.
0: And I'm Sarah Panfill. We're a few of the executive producers for American Student Radio, a student-led podcasting group here at Indiana University. This week, we asked our producers to do the thing that as children we were told to avoid at all costs talk
1: to strangers. I mean, it makes sense. Avoiding strangers can be a safety thing, I guess. But on the other hand, strangers are kind of the best. Counterpoint, are you familiar with Liam Neeson's Taken?
2: Personally, I've never seen it, and I
0: love talking to strangers. Some of our listeners are strangers, and we love them. Anyway, in today's episode, you'll hear stories about dead zoo animals, the sounds of the Irish countryside, and complicated issues of race and heritage. And all of our ideas this week came from strangers. Quite the range of stories.
1: From. Blue, mm, <laughs> from. I uh, got okay, live.
0: Li- what is it?
1: <clears throat> oh, ready? Should I do it again? From Indiana University in Bloomington.
0: From Indiana University in Bloomington.
1: This is. This is. This is American Student Radio.
0: Real chill. Real chill. Aliens,
2: conspiracy, journalism, and lesbians.
1: But to start, Nora Youssef and Maddie Jimenez bring us this piece where they ask strangers about their favorite body parts, and we could all stand to hear a little more self-love on the airwaves.
0: Hey everyone, welcome to our first Box Pop. It's Nora. It's Maddie. And we had a question for strangers. What's your favorite body part? That is so hard. Eyes. Eyes are
3: cool.
1: Eyes. Eyes. You can tell a lot about a person by their eyes. They're very expressive.
3: The eyes, mainly because, like, they're different colors. I mean, they could just be blue, but they could also have, like, little specks of gold in them. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to get really deep here, but they also are, like, pretty revealing when Mm -hmm. you're talking to people and they're, you know... Just the eyes to the as people say. Oh my gosh, it's such a random question. Hands, probably? Is they, like, you get to, like, work with them like, mm-hmm. create things? Yeah. Probably my
0: legs. Other really people's? Probably this. face. Me, my legs. I like my legs, and yeah, I, I look at people's faces, <laughs> and I'm like, they look cute. <laughs> my
3: favorite body part on me, I think, would be my hands, because they look weirdly like my mom's hands, and I love my mom. My cheek area where my freckles are.
2: Noses. There's so many different ones. <laughs> And, um, you know, the cute little buttons ones when they,
0: yeah, it's my favorite. I think I like my feet. Your Um, feet? Like, I don't actually like my feet, but I like the capacity that my feet allow me to, like, wander, I
3: guess. Maybe my thumbs, they look, they're, like, not normal. Has
0: anyone ever complimented your thumbs?
3: No.
2: I don't know, I think it's the first thing I notice. I always, like, look down, so, like, I don't know, I, I guess my eyes just always, like, are looking at people's legs i like muscular legs i think those like are attractive on a guy or a girl but yeah i don't like hairy legs even on guys if they're super duper hairy it's, it's too much yeah <laughs> i would say probably my eyebrows i kind of used to get like picked on for them because like that wasn't the cool thing back in the day was to have like thicker eyebrows but as time's going on it has changed and now i'm
3: very proud
0: love my hair it just, it I wake up in the morning, yeah, well, not even, like, the color, like, I have, like, it's not really as bad today, because I straighten it, but I usually have, like, really curly, kind of wild hair, and it always just looks very untamed, and I love it. Yeah. I used to hate it as a kid, you yeah. know, because I always felt like I looked kind of gross a little, like, <laughs> like I didn't take care of myself, but now I'm like, no, like, let them live. Yeah. Let the curls live, you know, yeah. yeah totally. So I've definitely come into my own on my hair, and I yeah. think I would have to say that's my favorite part. That was so interesting hearing Stranger's favorite body part. Maddie, what's your favorite body part? Mine is my butt. What's yours? Mine is my skin minus my forehead. Thanks to all the Strangers who participated. See you in the next one.
2: I'm with the people who said hands. Like, I'm all
0: about the hands.
2: I love especially how one person said she loves her hands because they look
0: like her mom's hands. Yeah, I totally agree. That was a really nice moment.
1: And that guy who was like, I like my thumbs because they're not normal.
0: Has anyone ever complimented
2: your thumbs? No. Okay, (laughs) moving on. In our next piece, producer Pilar Banyarsky brings us the story he found while interrogating strangers. He spoke with Noelle Friel about her grandmother, their Mexican heritage, the Spanish language, and the U.S.'s relationship with immigrants.
3: My entire life, she had always gone by Corrine. That's what I thought my grandmother's first name was. That's how she wanted to be called. That's what she called herself. That's what other people called her. And then when she was telling me this story, she told me that when she moved to this Catholic school, the nuns changed their names. So her brother, Jose, became Joseph. Her brother, Jesus, became Jesse. Her sister, Manuela, became Nelly, And she, Karina, became Corrine and she used that name her entire life. They were stripped of every part of their culture right down to the names that they were born with. Soy abuelita. Write mm-hmm. okay. ¿Cuántas lenguas hablas? Dos. I'm Noel. Blair. I'm taking a class on Spanish linguistics, and we had to interview a native Spanish speaker. Well, my grandma's a native Spanish speaker, so I decided to interview her. And I had to ask her a variety of things, like things that make her the happiest or the saddest or what's the most painful, because we were trying to get a gist of the way that her speech patterns would change when I asked her these things. But what I didn't intend to happen was that I learned so much about her history and about my heritage, too, um, mm-hmm. ¿Qué bla bla en casa? Solamente Spano, espanol? espanol. She was actually born in the United States. Her parents came from Mexico and they moved to Texas right before she was born. But even though she grew up in the United States, her parents didn't speak any English and neither did she. Um, mm-hmm. ¿Qué bla bla en casa? Solamente Spano, Espanol. espanol. The nuns that she was taught by were extremely harsh to her. They were abusive, and not just to her, but to all of the Mexican students. From what I understand, they didn't offer any English classes, but they were expected to speak English, and they were punished severely if they spoke any Spanish. She said the types of punishments that they received receive were mostly physical. They would get hit a lot. And it was incredibly painful to watch her talk about it. I had never heard my grandma cry before, and she began sobbing when she was telling me these things. Um, fue muy difícil para mí para aprender. There was a little boy who I believe was speaking Spanish to his friends or something very little, but the nuns threw him in a trash can. And he was flailing around, covered in garbage and crying. And they used him as an example, like this is what happens if you don't listen. She would Go home and she would just pray, like, please don't let this happen to me. Please protect me from my own teachers. She was literally beaten out of speaking Spanish and she never taught it to her kids. So they never taught it to me. Like, she stopped celebrating Mexican holidays. All of it was just gone. Her culture became something to be ashamed of. Sometimes... I remember as a kid, I would hear comments, things like, oh, you don't speak Spanish. You're not really Mexican. And I just think that's because it was stripped away from us, because it was scared out of our ancestors when they came here, because they weren't allowed to speak it. So of course I don't speak it now, because she went through so much torment. She didn't want us to go through the same thing. some children children of hispanic immigrants were not coming to school because they were afraid that while they were at school their parents would be deported and here's the thing when a child's parents are deported they don't receive any kind of help they're likely just going to be put in the foster care system so when your child is in elementary school if you're deported during the day when they're gone you're going to be gone and they're going to be without you the students, I mean, since they're so little, they don't understand what's going on, and it scares them. And they would say things like, the president's going to take us away because he doesn't like us. Why doesn't he like us? Well, what my grandma faced was more like in her day-to-day life, her personal interactions. Today, it's kind of like it comes from our leaders, and then that mindset trickles down It doesn't show a lot of progress from where we've come from. It shows a lot of hostility. They paint a picture to the public that Mexicans are dangerous or that they're mooching off of the American system. They're stealing our jobs, which in and of itself implies that immigrants are less worthy of having those jobs, that Americans are above immigrants and more worthy of having them. I can't imagine being a parent and having to tell your child, you can't go to school today because I'm afraid that I'm going to be deported because of where I came from. When it was hard for her to talk about something, she would revert back to English. Because she told me that she, since being in kindergarten with those nuns, had not spoken Spanish since it's hard for her to speak it it brings back painful memories i'm sure it does and so i'm sure that there's a lot of kids just like me who when their ancestors moved here they had to just try and blend in and so a lot of their history was lost it's not entirely on the person who has immigrated here to blend in it's not hard to say somebody's name If you don't know how to pronounce it, just ask them how to pronounce it. It isn't hard. There's no reason why you have to change the name that they were born with, that their parents gave to them, and not allow them to go by that because that's part of who they are.
0: in this piece was from Blue Dot Sessions under a Creative Commons license.
1: So, my piece is next. When I asked a random professor what kind of story he wanted to hear, his answer was simple. He just wanted to hear more of people appreciating nature. For spring break, I had the opportunity to go to Ireland with a media school class, and I thought, why not appreciate nature in another country? On our first full day in Ireland, our very jet-lagged and sleep-deprived group took a three-hour hike in the Wicklow Mountains outside Dublin.
2: I just don't understand the logic of taking a dozen exhausted college students trekking through a national park.
1: Yeah, we didn't get it either. And I do have to apologize for the wind and occasional mic-handling noise. And let's face it, I'm not the most in-shape audio producer, so you're going to hear some heavy breathing from me. But you'll also hear some of what my classmates experienced on a very drizzly and foggy day in Ireland.
0: Get that sound? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I need normal.
2: <laughs>
0: it's like that episode of
2: <laughs>
1: You can't keep talking.
4: <laughs>
1: I'm supposed to, I was tasked with doing something that appreci- about appreciating nature more, so, and I don't have my headphones, so we're winging it with the sound quality. That's okay. But, I don't know. What are, so far, what do you appreciate about this? It looks like a fairy forest. Really nice. Can you tell me what it looks like? Yeah, for me, it looks like uh, it looks like the forest of Middle Earth. I feel like we're about to stumble right into an Ent who's going to tell us some sage uh, pieces of wisdom. Oh, right. That's, 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 that's how I feel. How <laughs> do uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> so you feel, Anna? Yeah. I also feel like I'm in some sort of... Arthurian romance sort of setting, you know, where some random knight is just like bopping through the woods and he runs into lots of interesting and wacky folk who put him through trials and tribulations. And I'm just saying, I would be down for that. Sound. Sound? Someone say sound? Oh yeah. I need you guys to not laugh. <laughs>
4: oh.
1: <laughs> NPR reporter. Oh, I almost tripped. <laughs> oh, we're not running. <laughs>
0: And we're walking on sort of like a gravel rocky road, this path trail thing. And on either side there's a little bit of snow. And then on banking that is um, some really thick evergreens. It's beautiful and it's kind of a cloudy day. It's raining a little bit, but to me it just seems like typical Ireland.
1: (laughs) For American Student Radio, I'm Sophia Salaby. I'm not running with this recorder. (laughs) Or ever.
2: I like how you were attempting to appreciate nature, but people just kept
0: distracting you. Listen, we all were tired, so I don't blame anyone. Mm -hmm. Totally fair, totally fair. Our final piece takes an entirely different direction. Dead zoo animals. Wait, what? Dead zoo animals. What's so hard to understand about that? Hey, that's kind of still in the realm of appreciating nature.
2: Like, we love nature so much that sometimes we put wildlife in cages and
0: pay to visit.
1: Hot take, Sarah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, strangers can be curious about the strangest things. ASR producer Tarek Warner tackles this question, what happens after zoo animals die?
5: Sophia Mustin, another member of American Student Radio, interviewed strangers about stories they wanted to hear. Someone asked what happens to zoo animals when they die. The story stood out to me because some of my best memories are at the St. Louis Zoo with my sister. I love the bears, but I never thought about them dying, even though that's an inevitable part of life. Maybe it's because I thought of animals as something to look at and not actual wildlife. But for this story, I wanted to find out just what happens when zoo animals die. From your favorite animal to the one that scares you the most, a plethora of exotic animals call zoos their home. But what happens when they pass away? What happens to their body? And what about the bonds they leave behind?
4: A necropsy is basically the animal version of an autopsy, and that really gives us a chance to uh, understand why the animal died.
5: That's Dr. Carrie Ulmer. She's a veterinarian at Mesker Park Zoo in Evansville, Indiana. She's dealt with animal death before. But what exactly is it like when performing the necropsy?
4: It's very similar to examining a live animal. So you start with examining the whole exterior of the animal. So you look at all the parts that you would normally look at with a physical exam. And then you make an incision down the length of the body, and you inspect the cavities. So you really just literally go down a list, and we check each organ system uh, for any signs of disease. And then we usually take biopsies of most of the major organs, and then we send those off to a pathologist who will look at those under the microscope to check for signs of microscopic problems.
5: The death of a zoo animal is methodical. An examination. A list then collecting data and sending it away. But once the process is done, what happens to the body?
6: Usually what they do is cremate the body afterwards.
5: That's Tim Harrison. He continues telling us what happens to the body after death.
6: So unless they're going to use it uh, in the lab, for, uh, they'll use it for scientific purposes, parts of it, or they'll actually take sometimes take the animals and use them for museum quality educational tools. And then also just the educational department, you'll see if you go to an AZA zoo, which is the best zoos out there, the accredited ones, they'll have uh, some of the body parts of some of the animals that have died, so you can actually put hands-on.
5: Tim is the director of Outreach for Animals, an organization dedicated to teaching people proper care and respect for wildlife and its habitat. He's also the subject of an award-winning documentary, The Elephant in the Living Room. He mentioned AZA Zoos, which stands for the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. However,
6: The term zoo has been misused for so long it's ridiculous. Because a zoo is supposed to be a place where animals are used for educational purposes or to be displayed for people to come and see and learn something about. Where the roadside zoos, it's basically just coming at you in a picture taken with a tiger cub.
5: Zoo is a blanket term. It includes the AZA accredited zoos, such as the one Dr. Ulmer is part of at Mesker Park. It also includes ZAA zoos, which can include roadside zoos that house bears in 20 feet by 20 feet corn cribs. So, what happens to exotic animals in a ZAA zoo?
6: We have no idea what happens to those animals. When they die, they could be, some body parts could be sold, uh, you know, because uh, a tiger is worth more dead than alive through Chinese uh, medicines through the skin, through the claws, things like that. People pay uh, quite a bit of money for a dead tiger uh, because of that. And so we had, there's no regulations or control with the ZAA, and those are the roadside zoos. So that's the two different kinds, AZA and ZAA. But the AZA zoos, when they're done with them, they are necropsied, they are studied, part part of their, their samples taken, but they're incinerated.
5: So sometimes there's no closure, no necropsy, no lists, no learning opportunities.
4: We had an an old tiger, so I believe she was 17, uh, that passed away, and we found blastomyces, so that's a fungus that can live in the soil and cause pneumonia, uh, and and unfortunately, that was the case in this tiger, Um, and she went from being healthy to passing away within a couple of days, but it just goes to show you, you know, wild animals are very good at hiding signs of illness.
5: From healthy to gone. How do the animals left behind react?
4: I, I guess as far as the passing of an animal, it really depends on kind of the development of the brain of the animal. But some of them, you know, really seem to have a grieving period after the passing of a of another animal that they live with. And some animals, it really doesn't seem to phase them
6: at all.
5: But the animals who are phased feel profoundly.
6: Well, I'll throw out right off the bat: elephants. They are overly emotional very emotional animals. And it's really rough. It's very rough. And you'll see it even in the wild where they'll circle for days. They'll circle that animal for days. You know, and other animals will come in and try to eat, you know, the the, uh, scavengers, they'll fight them off a little bit. But then after a period of time, they'll leave. They'll go up. They have tears actually run down their eyes.
5: And what about the people that care for them the most?
4: The animal husbandry staff and the zookeepers, uh, they work with these animals every day, all day, and so there is a bond that often develops between them, and uh, that's a great thing because sometimes we can utilize that to help train the animal to accept certain treatments, especially later on in life, but it also means that those... People are very attached to the animals, and so when they pass, it can, be, it can be kind of hard on them. So we really try to keep everybody in the loop so that there are no surprises and, and so that everybody can be prepared for, for the day when that unfortunately happens.
6: It's a very close bond. It's, it's almost four times stronger than the bond you have with your dog. You're With something that should kill you, like a tiger or, you know, lion or something like that, and you have a connection to it, you're even closer to them because you have to spend time with them you have to spend more time with a tiger than you would have to spend with your dog. So that's that trust there a little bit too. You can never trust a wild animal all the way because they're going to go wild. No Sometimes they're, they're going to have that instincts going to kick in. But you have to be able to, they, there is a close, super close bond that people just don't seem to understand.
5: Zoo animals. Given the right context and a caring environment, live well and die old. A life of bonds between each other, connections between animal and human, then death. Necropsies, lists, education, cremation. Eventually, it comes to an end. For American Student Radio, I'm Tarek.
2: And eventually, too, our show
1: comes to an end. Yes, that's it for today. Thank you to all the strangers we harassed into giving us stories. Stay tuned for two great new episodes this month.
0: First, our annual 24-hour challenge, where our producers make stories on a very tight deadline.
2: And then a show jam-packed with one-minute stories. I know I can't wait.
0: So? so thanks for...
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> One, I should... two, three. Thanks for listening. <laughs> it's just, it's kind of weird because it's all in unison. I kind of want
0: to like leave us in, like trying like leave it in.
1: Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening
2: to American Student Radio. We're produced by students at Indiana University of (laughs) Bloomington. Our theme music is provided by Luna Matic. Like us on Facebook at (laughs) facebook.com slash American Student Radio and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at ASR Voice. We broadcast new episodes Sunday at noon on WIOX and stream on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash American-student-radio. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.